Well, I grew up in a family that uh, with two alcoholic parents, uh, things were pretty dysfunctional. And I, I think a lot of us can say that, um, hopefully not too many, but uh, I grew up very insecure. My father was transferred all over the United States with his job. He's with the Department of Agriculture and the government. And so I was always going into new schools and uh, with different curriculum uh, where I really couldn't learn. Uh, they would tell me just to sit in class and uh, uh, they would pass me through. So I was very insecure. Uh, I, I didn't really believe in God as a, as a child. I think all children naturally want to believe in God. And, and I did. Uh, as I grew into my teens, I, I became very rebellious uh, because of the circumstances where I grew up. Um, and I, I started searching. I had a friend that, that died and he was in a car accident and I went to his funeral and he was, I just looked at this wax doll down there and I thought to myself, where did he go? Is there life after death? Is there really God? Is there anything in this earth uh, other than just nothingness maybe? And uh, I started questioning and started searching. I asked, went to every church I could imagine, couldn't find any answers, went to anything, anything that could give me any answers, any hope, but there, there was nothing out there. So I guess I would say I was an agnostic at that point. Um, later on in life, I went through a, a series of, of very difficult situations, a bad marriage, to, to, again, to an alcoholic. I think kids growing up in that atmosphere tend to, you know, that's normal to them. Yeah. Uh, got out of that with two small babies and a nervous breakdown, moved uh, from Kansas City. I remember being in Kansas City the last few nights I was there looking up at the sky and saying, you know, God, if you're really up there, if you just give me one year of knowing what it's like to really feel true love, have somebody love me and, and let me feel the feeling of love, because I don't think I've ever felt that way towards anyone. But I just walked away because I knew God didn't really exist. I hopped in an old beat up car that we had and took my two little baby sons and we left Kansas City and, and drove to Seattle. Uh, I ended up in government housing, uh, which was awful. We didn't have any furniture. We didn't have any food to eat. Uh, we had a little gas stove that heated our unit and uh, we pretend like we were camping and the little pilot light was our campfire and the boys loved that. We'd run through the house you know, playing games because we couldn't break anything, no furniture or anything. <laughs> we went to the library and got books and read. And I, quite frankly, I loved my life at that point because it was away from all the hectic, horrible things that I had left in Kansas City. Um, so at work, I did get a job. I started working in a, a, a car dealership and a lady there one day told me that she met the man that I was going to marry. And I, oh, no, no, not me. That's <laughs> never going to happen again. And uh, my experience with that wasn't good. And I don't even want to hear about it. But this guy called me, this man named Don called me the, that night and uh, asked me out. And uh, 28 days later, we were married in Reno, Nevada. And uh, <laughs> I never have met anybody in my life like this man. He was very good looking. He owned his own home. He owned a car. He had a good job. The handsomest man I'd ever, ever encountered in my life. I just couldn't figure out what in the world did he want with me? And so, you know, I thought, well, <laughs> I, you know, whatever I was, it was wonderful. My boys had a daddy and, and life was really good. Uh, I'd open up 
uh, open up closets and there'd be China and crystal there that he had uh, got when he was in the Navy and uh, just amazing, amazing things. I'd wake up at night and poke him and see if he was even real. It was just was <laughs> amazing. So on our first anniversary, um, uh, well, prior to that, about six months into this, he went and bought a tavern with a friend of his. And I was opposed to it because of the alcohol aspect, uh, not being good with me in my life. And But it was his dream and he wanted to own his own business. And we're kids in our 20s at that point and knew nothing about running a business. Uh, but he had a partner that seemed pretty savvy and his wife did the bookkeeping. Well, that business really started going downhill and creating some problems. On our first anniversary, uh, we went out to dinner and uh, had a great time. And he mentioned, let's just stop by the tavern on our way home to see how things are going. And uh, we did. And I went in, and I was sitting back in the corner and uh, everybody was congratulating him on the new business and what a success it was. And there was this particular barmaid that would go over and uh, flicking her hair towards him and he was fixing her, her necklace and flirting with him, obviously, and he seemed to be eating it up. And I, I was just like getting angrier and angrier. And pretty soon I just got up and just ran out the door, just so frustrated. And that's what I always did when I was backed into a corner. I would just run like some scared animal. But um, anyway, that night we got in this horrendous fight when I got home and it was just awful. And uh uh, it had been exactly one year to the very day because we only knew each other 28 days and that was in February. So it was exactly one year to the date that vow I made to God, you know, <laughs> let me have one year. <laughs> Not long you should have asked for 50, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was not long after that, that uh, my father dropped dead of a heart attack. Uh, we started bankruptcy proceedings in our business at the tavern. And then my, my little son, Mark, was hit by a car and killed. And, uh, and uh, I'm so sorry. He was? Um, so, and uh, he was hit by a car and killed. And I... Uh, uh, who, who was that? Pardon? Who was hit and killed? That was my, my youngest son, Mark. Oh. And I had the two boys when Don and I were married. So, you know, I, we, I never really worked at the tavern except for on Monday nights. And I had uh, uh, that night, kiss the boys goodnight. On Monday nights, we had a big crab feed, a, a promotional thing. And I went into uh, work that night and Don was talking on the phone very intently. And uh, I uh, uh, couldn't understand why he was doing that. But he hung up and came over and grabbed my arm. I was pulling me out the door and told me that Mark had been hit by a car. And uh, we got to the hospital as the ambulance was pulling in and uh, the, the doctor came running out and, and asked, how did this happen? And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just left them with a babysitter and, uh, and we went into the waiting room hour after hour waiting to uh, just waiting, just knowing he would be okay. There was no other option that he would be okay. But uh, uh, we went through the night and in the morning I was looking out the window of the hospital and I saw cars going by and people waking up the new morning, a new day was starting for them. I thought, how could that possibly be with well, right. babies being born here and, and in this hospital and children fighting for their lives? And When your whole world just stopped, I'm sure. Yeah, it did. It was horrible. It was horrible. And then I heard these footsteps coming down the hall as we were looking out the window and I knew what was going to happen. I knew what the doctor was going to say. 
And uh, he said that they had tried, but they couldn't save Mark. And we went into his room and he was so cold and I leaned down to kiss him. I saw a tear in his eye and said, don't cry, Mark, because mommy's here, you know, pulling mm -hmm. the covers up over him. So if I could, mommy's going to make everything right. I could make it okay, right? And But I couldn't. And I, I just then kind of collapsed. And when we got home, I had to tell his brother, Chris, what had happened and uh, Chris had come running up to me and said, Mommy, did you hear what happened to Marky? And his poor Chris had been there with him when the accident happened, saw the whole thing, and was just left there to, to go home and tell the babysitter what had happened. And and so the trauma on him was absolutely horrible. And uh, so our lives obviously dramatically changed. I couldn't even leave the house. I couldn't smile. I, I felt the horrible guilt of losing a child. And um um, it was it was a very, very bad time. Uh, but Don told me, you know, you have to get out of this house. You can't just sit here. This is probably several weeks afterwards, but I, I just couldn't. I would sit there just trying to get through one more day, one more day. And uh, he just kind of insisted that we were going to go over to this these friends that were having a party that night. Well, I can't smile. I can't talk to people. I don't want to go. So we were arguing. And then by the time we got out of the car, we were arguing even more. I got into the car. We were full out yelling at each other. And, and um, Don made the statement. He said, you've just got to move on. And I came over at him just with all my force, just beating him in the face. I'll never move on. I will never move on. I can't. And I uh, was smashing him. He's trying to drive the car and push me off. And he took his arm and, and swung and to push me over to my side. And he hit me in the back of, of uh, the back kind of the side and in such a way that uh, it, it actually lacerated my liver. There's a blue, oh my goodness, a sack that around your liver that holds your liver to peace. You know, it's like, like jello or you know, your liver, oh. the sack protects it. So it, I had massive internal bleeding, uh, but I didn't know it. And uh, so we're in the car and I just said, you know, take me home, take me home, which he did. And uh, again, I grabbed the car keys and started to run because that's what I always did. And I was driving the car, pouring down rain and this pain inside of me started uh, really getting bad. And I stopped the car and got out and it's pouring down rain and uh, I'm all wet and cars are honking at me as I got back in the car and I didn't know how I got home. Absolutely, I undid all my clothes. So here I am soaking wet, my clothes all undone, kind of crawling up the driveway, trying to get into the house and God's standing there so furious with me. And uh, he said, you know, you know, what's wrong? What are you trying to do? And I said, I'm trying to call an ambulance. I got to get to the hospital. Something's really wrong with me. And uh, he said, well, if you're that bad, I'll take you, which he did. In the hospital, I'm in the room and they're and back in the late 60s. They didn't have MRIs or CAT scans to uh, tell what was wrong with me, but they could tell that my, I guess my blood pressure or my blood count was dropping very drastically. So the doctors came in and said, we have to take you into surgery right away. You're, you're losing blood and truly, we don't know how but we've got to find out. And um, so, I mean, at that point, you don't have any choice. You know, who is this doctor? <laughs> I don't even know you. And uh, and it happens so fast. But uh, so on the gurney, they're taking me down the hallway and Don kissed me goodbye and, and said that he loved me. And, and I clung to that because I didn't even liked me, let alone loved me at this point. And our, our last time together had been so awful. So they, I went into surgery. They put the mask over my face and I knew that I, I should be going under, but I didn't. I, everything was dark. 
but I, and I was, I couldn't breathe and I was struggling and I, I couldn't get my arms up. They had me secured you know, on, on the table for surgery. I couldn't get my arms up to pull the mask off my face, but I was suffocating. And I, I was in a panic, just a horrible panic inside of me. I've got to breathe. I've got to breathe. And, and, and then I started going through whatever the darkness was and coming out in a different place and I could, it was a tunnel, I guess. Uh, other people have described it as a tunnel, so I'll call it that. That's what it looked like. And I, I, I didn't have to breathe anymore. That, that panic left me. It was strange still because I, I still wanted to breathe, but I didn't have to. And then I started moving forward and I saw my husband, Don, down below uh, with a street lamp down there. And my two other sons were there with him and, uh, they were crying and I, I wanted to tell them, no, don't cry. I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And I, I kept it. And I just knew at that point they were going to be just fine. So I started moving forward again and I saw four people dressed in street clothes standing off to the left of me. And I don't know who they were. I mean, my son had died and, and he wasn't there. I've heard, you know, people, you come and see, you come and greet you, but they had these very concerned looks on their faces. They weren't joyful or happy, or they just looked very like they were really worried for me. And I, I don't know, maybe they were distant relatives or whatever. I don't know, but just four human beings, not angels or anything. And and I went by them and I was curious uh, at this point. I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel real peaceful. I didn't feel didn't feel much of anything. And then this thought came to me, there is no God. Now, at this point in my life, I was a total atheist. When my son was hit by a car, people would come to me and say, oh, oh he's with Jesus now. And I would just scream at them. You know, what does your God need with my, my son? You know, and, and just, I was so angry. If God did exist, I hated him. I hated him. Why could he let this happen? And all the horrible things you see on earth. How could that possibly happen if there's this good, just God? So I was definitely at this point in my life an atheist. I had tried to believe in God. No one could ever give me an ounce of hope, nothing. So my anger and my bitterness that I had, I had put God down. I blasphemed him so badly when, before all this happened, um, I hated, hated God. Uh, if he did exist, which I did not believe he did. I really didn't. So this thought comes to me at this point, there is there is a God. And I heard this horrendous noise, like a freight train noise that was right next to me and just, just vibrating me, the loud noise. And then this pulling through my chest of like a rope going 100 miles an hour. And then it just stopped. And I knew that God did exist. And I can't explain to you how strongly I knew that. And I knew that I knew that I knew that God existed and the excitement because I don't know, that's so weird because I like my hand is right in front of my face right now. Nobody's gonna convince me that my hand isn't right there. I see it, I know it's there. That's how much I knew God existed, even more than that. And then once again, I, I started moving forward and I saw this brilliance, this huge, brilliant light, and it had something holding it back. And I wasn't there, but I knew that noise came again and that pulling through my chest. I can only think that maybe that was God just pulling all this garbage out of me, pulling all the hatred and the anger and the horrendous things that I've been through just coming out of me. I don't know. 
but this noise again and the pulling of the rope through the middle of me. And I knew that I was going to heaven and I, the excitement and the peace, that, all this stuff that nobody can really, there aren't words to explain what this feeling is like. So I can't, I won't even really try, but I knew I was going to heaven and I was the excitement and the joy and the, the, the ecstatic feeling. This, oh, it was incredible. And then the floor dropped out and I started falling into this darkness and I knew I was in hell and I just, I was screaming out, God, I believe in you now. I know that you exist. I believe in you. But I, I knew that it was too late. I, I knew that God didn't send me there. I knew that I had done this myself, that I hated him. I, I didn't want any part of God. And so now I was separated from God. And in this place of horror, it was, it was, it was just this feeling that you can't, nobody can save you. Almost like God didn't even know I was there. Um, I, I would fall and burn in this horrendous place forever and ever. I would never be able to commit suicide. Nobody could save me. Nobody, I didn't exist. I didn't exist in the eyes of God or anybody. And then it just all stopped. Like I say, I was screaming, I believe in you, God. I believe in you. Please save me from this place. And it just stopped. And I started spiraling backwards, back into the tunnel, going backwards to the entrance of it. And then I felt, I felt this a spirit, or I call it the will to live, enter back into my body. So at this point, I there's, you know, there's this place of being with God in heaven, uh, which was incredible, or coming back into to life. As long as that spirit was apart from me, I wanted to be with God in, in heaven. But as that entered in back into my body, my physical body entered into my body, the spirit of God or me, I'm not making sense. I'm like, am I making any sense? But this came into me. And I, at that point, wanted to live. I heard an audible voice, and I believe it was a voice of God, say, bring people to me. And then I was back in, in the operating room screaming, you know, God's real. God is real. I died. I died. And, and, uh, and then they wheeled me in. You know, I had machines and wires coming out from every part of my body. And uh, obviously, my time after that was... That was you know, really a long time of healing and, and horrendously tough things. But that was over 50 years ago. And I have ever since that day done nothing but try to bring people to the Lord. And I evangelized. I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was an atheist. I, you know, how do I bring people to God? How do I do that? You know, I, so I, yeah. I would tell people what happened to me and I, I didn't bring them to God. I just scared them to death. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I didn't know what to do, but I, I started going to, to these different churches or trying anywhere do I could learn about God and and tried reading the Bible, but I didn't know why did they have the New Testament? Wasn't the Old Testament good enough? You know, <laughs> all weird stuff to me, but I in hard, difficult. But I pressed on, and like I say, for 50 years, that's that's all I have done. That's been my life. My goal in life is to do what I feel God led me to do, and that was to bring people to Him. So that's my story. <laughs> it makes me think of that, um, was a Barbara Mandrell song, I was country before country was cool, and you're like, NDE before NDE was yeah. heard of. <laughs> I think it's 50 years ago. That's, that's a long time. I mean, I'm sure you didn't know that that was a near-death experience. No, no, no. 
Yeah. I think back in the 60s was about when they started uh, being able to resuscitate people. And so there was a rash of near-death experiences during that time. Okay. People that are my age that are coming out with stories. And, uh, you know, so maybe they happened before that, but nobody ever talked about it. I never had heard about anything like that. Do you remember when you started hearing that this happened to other people? Well, I got involved with uh, uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson. I don't know if you know who he is or not. uh Yeah, he's a scientist at the University of Virginia or was. He's retired now, but uh, he got a hold of me. And I'm not sure exactly how we met or we didn't meet, but was on, uh, I think, over the phone at that time. And uh, he started interviewing me and interviewed me for over 20 years. Uh, giving me all these tests and uh, mm-hmm. in and out things. And we became really good friends. Uh, he, he believes my story is real. He put my story in his book, Alive. Uh, I think it was just published a few months back. And um, and he's just a, a fantastic guy, not a believer in God at that time. I don't know if he is now or not. No. But, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, that, so that's, yeah. No, there, I had not heard of a lot about these things, but through him and some other people started learning. That amazes me, people that study these experiences and still don't believe in God. <laughs> well, he's a scientist and, you know, scientists are always going to find a reason for everything. But I don't think he's been able to do that. <laughs> right. What other explanation are you going to find? <laughs> right, right. I mean, there just is no other explanation for how all this can be and and uh so i know i know and and uh i know what it's done for me i mean i i was a changed person overnight and my husband i mean he was elated (laughs) he even went for the church deal you know so it was like uh amazing transformation that doesn't happen to people i mean maybe over time or counseling or all sorts of things people can change but to change that drastically overnight and not not change for over 50 years not one little bit uh that doesn't happen and uh i you know i i went to bed after this happened i could say we were bankrupt very very poor again no food to eat whatever but uh i went to bed one night and i i I dreamt of starting this business i believe it came from god i really do that was a dream my experience of knowing god was definitely not a dream i asked dr grayson about that you know could this have been some kind of hallucination from the uh uh, you know, anesthetic and things. And he said, absolutely not. And he explains it in a scientific way, which I, uh-huh. I can't do, but it was not a hallucination. It was not a dream. Uh, but I did have this dream of starting this business, which I did. And it became very successful. It's still in, it was still in business today and run by my son, but um, uh, we, we gained great financial success with that. And I believe it was God's gift to me, but, uh, just things changed. I, I have a, a, a great awareness now for hurting people. I, I can walk by them and know that there's pain in them and maybe by the looks on their faces and maybe everybody can do that. But, uh, I seem to be very sensitive to anyone that's in pain or and wanting to to talk to them and, and we'll stop people and ask them, are you okay? You know? And were you uh, able to mend that marriage? Pardon? Were you able to repair that marriage? Oh yeah. We're still we've oh. been 54 years now. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That. He's a great guy and and always was, but we just he went through 
you know, losing a business and losing all of his uh, men or, you know, their egos are, are, are huge. And, and he went through an awful lot and also felt responsible for what happened to me. But I think he was just a player in, in the big scheme of things. So, you know, he's not abusive. He's not abusive, but he was that night. So, you know. This is just hit you just wrong, you know, and with you attacking him and in the car and. Yeah. Yeah. That's I was awesome. the one that was abusing him, actually. He was trying to drive the car, and I went coming at him. I'll, I'll never pay. I'll never stop. So, yeah, he's a great guy. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um. So have you been sharing your story very much? Yes, I, I, I want to, because especially I'm so appreciative of you for having this, Peggy, because it does give me the opportunity to tell my story. It does create curiosity in some people maybe that don't believe in God or, or trying to. And uh, I, did, I did write my story in a book. I, I don't do that for gain, obviously. I don't need financial anything. I don't need <laughs> success. I've had that through the business world and I write it for one reason and that's to put something in someone's hands to give them hope for, uh, when they are hopeless and, and uh, in pain. And uh, so I, you know, yes, I appreciate the opportunity and I do speak as often as I can. What's the name of your book? I wrote it down here somewhere. Uh, it's safe to die. I it's a, uh, uh, it's on Amazon just oh, came okay. out on Amazon. It's, there's a picture of it. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. It's called "Is It Safe to Die?" and uh, and obviously it can be. <laughs> Where did you get the title? I don't know. I you know I, I wrote a I wrote this story down years ago and and had that in the book. It was in one of the chapters was called "Is It Safe to Die?" and so that's actually where I took that name from for the book. So uh, this one I had professionally done and edited and everything. So. The other one I was just a self-published thing that I just wanted to get down so I wouldn't forget anything. But obviously, I haven't forgotten anything. How can you forget that? So, yeah. Huh. yeah. So after you've self-published a book, like you can go get another publisher later and say, like, rewrite this or something. I'm curious well, about that. Yeah, I self-published, but I that's it's really expensive to do. And for people that want to write their stories or have you know things similar to mine. Uh, Amazon's made it really convenient. It's it's like self-publishing, but it's called KDP uh, publishing uh, through Amazon, and uh, it's not that expensive. And uh, I it, it was expensive to have it edited and all that, but they can publish their books or their stories through that, and it's a much easier way to go. So that's what I did with this one. It's a, so. Do you do your own marketing, or you just let it go? The marketing I do is this, is talking okay. to people, yeah, word of mouth and and, yeah. and talking to people, being willing to get up in front of people and, and speak at ladies' luncheons or, or uh, podcasts like this or whatever chance or opportunity God opens up for me. So, Have you been involved with IONS? Yes, yes. I, uh, I've been involved with IONS for probably 20 years up in Seattle with uh, Kimberly Clark Sharp started that and she was one of the originators of IONS and Dr. Grayson as well. And uh, she had a near-death experience. And just she's a wonderful person, just a great person. So IONS is a great group. Uh, you know, they, they, they believe in everything, everything. You don't come in there trying to prophesize God or anybody, because there's a lot of people that believe in other sources. So uh, 
but they're open to everyone and it's a great, that's, great good. that's good to hear. Yeah. So is there anything else that you'd like to add? I'll put no, you I, on the screen with you. Yeah. No, so, I, I'm so happy to hear that you're still with your husband. I thought like that was it. Like you got your ear. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's gone too. <laughs> no, he's, he's here. <laughs> And it's comforting to know that someone that was atheist, like you just got to cry out to God. I mean, we hear that quite a bit, you know, like Howard Storm, just say, Jesus saved me or whatever. And yeah, it's, it's not that hard. It seems maybe some will never, you know, humble themselves to say that or, or they're yeah. so angry and bitter. I don't know, but it seems like if they ask for it, it's right there. It is. And, and, I feel that God's no respecter of persons. It says that in the Bible that God doesn't, doesn't love one person over another. So he would not just give this, this, this gift to me. I believe everybody has the opportunity during the dying process to make that choice to go follow God or not. And so people may have died, bitter, atheists, angry, nasty people, and had this, this transformation not when they are dead, but during the dying process, that God will come to them. I, I believe that firmly because I know too many good people that just couldn't believe in God for one reason or another. But I wouldn't count on that. And that's why I say, is it safe to die? <laughs> if you want to feel that you're safe and know that you're, you're there, then you want to lay your life down. You just want to say, you know, God, I've made a mess of this, this life. I want you to take it over. I believe in you and I give my life to you. And that's what I did on a cold church floor one time and, and just crying out, you know, I just, uh, and that's all it took. And uh, it's easy and, and it's worth a try. <laughs> if you're out there suffering. If you're out there struggling, why? You don't have to, you don't have to. Yeah. Um, years ago, one day on the radio, I had a, Christian channel, I think. And I heard him say, and I stopped in my tracks and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. It was some Bible verse about more angels rejoice when one sinner repents than when yeah. a thousand righteous, something like that. And I thought, wow. And it just like stuck with me and stuck with me. That's so beautiful. And then I later on the day, I started watching Little House on the Prairie. And that exact same Bible quote was on Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> And I've watched a Little House on the Prairie a lot and never heard that. And I thought that is going to stick with me. And it has, because you just imagine, you know, this, you know, people, Christians think, oh, I do all these right things and God's just going to love me best. You know, we just did like yeah. things like that. Yeah. And then, then we realize how joyful the angels in heaven, I mean, a thousand angels do to celebrate when one sinner repents and i don't mean sinners but like atheists or you know anybody that comes home and you know it kind of makes you think of the what is it a prodigal son or something you know like you have this one you have say you have all these children everything's great but they're you know mother's heart there's always that one child they're not here yeah. they're not here you know maybe like your son you know the day you see him it's like how rejoicing like you love your other sons you know that's great but when you see that one that's been separated from you how that feeling's going to be you know, and it's like what I think of this. Yeah. It must be so wonderful. That's a, a great analogy. As I, I had that situation with my son that was with his brother when he was killed. Uh, 
he went into drugs and uh, horrible things in his life. And uh, had, he was so traumatized by that situation that uh, it was awful. And he eventually, eventually had enough. I mean, we ended up having to make him leave our home at, I think he was close to 17 and told him we have rules in our home. You know, you can't do drugs. You can't do this. You, you have to live by these rules. This is our home. You know, we're paying for it here. If you want to live here, we want you, but you got to do this. Well, he said, no, I'm going to leave. And he left and it broke my heart. I couldn't stand to lose another son, mm -hmm. but he did left. And I think in about a year, almost quite a year, he came back and he said, I want to live under your rules. You know, oh. he said, fine, but none of them have changed. And he said, I want to go into the Navy. So he did for six years. He came out of the Navy and gave his life to the Lord. And, and he is a strong Christian. He ministers to street people. He, he goes out at night and finds street people oh, and he my tells them about his life and what happened to him. And, and he's got the long hair. He looks great. He's so cute. <laughs> I love him to be. Do you think he'd want to come on my show? And we'd love to hear what he has to say. You know, he might do that, Peggy. He's a biker dude, you know, <laughs> but he's yeah, that'd be awesome. Dude. He was a one percenter at one time. I mean, he was a bad boy, and uh, but anyway, now converted uh, to to loving the Lord, and and yes, I think he might do that. He'd be scared to death, that. but he might do that. Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> well, you see what it's like, you know. When we're recording, you're in your living room, I'm in mine. It's just us girls talking, you know. And then yeah. you put it on air, and it's it's like done. It's not like it's live, or there's this big audience staring at you. It's like I would never. Like I could like go in a room and tell my NDE if I'm just the one talking, but like to like mix and mingle or, or, or that live stuff. And there's other people in the group on the, on the online thing. That makes me so nervous with this. It's just like us girls talking. <laughs> yeah. I'll bet a lot of people could relate to his story too. I mean, he was yeah. so traumatized as a kid and I don't know if that comes into the story or if he even knows that you know, that that's what precipitated him being this bad boy, but it did. And, uh, but like I say, he was in, in biker, you know, the Hell's Angels. I don't know who he was with, but now he's, he's actually gone into those camps. They accept him in there. He goes in and tells them about God and he tells them about, you know, how his, how his life has changed. And he goes in there and, and prays over people that are sick or, 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 uh, you know, all sorts of things and so he can get in the door and uh yeah oh, i'd love for him to at least talk to you <laughs> would that be okay just have him uh, yeah sure our youngest adopted son is in a really bad place like for 10 years he's been so angry since he turned 18 he's so angry and then he's got into drugs and his wife got into drugs and all this bad stuff and he's just like headed for prison and so you know there's people like that that we could hear maybe not hear what I have to say because I'm this grandma, but you know, somebody like him and some other people like that, you know, I think can reach people that we couldn't. Right. Absolutely. I was, I would love that. And it might just kick him in, in the back to tell him to do this, to do it. Yay. <laughs> Let him watch this. See what he thinks. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So is there anything else you'd like to add or we didn't get to cover or? No, I, th I think that's good. I think that's good. I appreciate the opportunity to, to share with you. Well, you did great. And I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank and you. it's nice meeting you. Thank you, Peggy. I'll have him get a hold. His name is Chris. Okay. Okay. Right. Thank you. Uh -huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.